I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 and above tier supporters of Parallax Views on Patreon. So, with that in mind, producers credit shoutouts to Gunner, Mark, Alexander, Catherine, Tilo, Emilia, Jeff, John, B. Lund, Brian, Elliot, Michael, Brace, Nick, Galen, Arlen, Bo, Chance, Chase, Dan, David, Gary, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now on to the show. Hey there, Parallax News listeners. On this edition of the program, we're going to be joined by Casper Kelly, who is perhaps most well-known for his work with Adult Swim, the late-night programming block of Cartoon Network. His past creative projects include the shorts Final Deployment 4, Queen Battle Walkthrough, and the rather infamous Too Many Cooks. Additionally, Casper is the co-creator of the TV series Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, starring the last podcast on the left's Henry Zabrowski. Moreover, Casper has written for such shows as The Squidbillies and Nickelodeon's Cat Dog. Casper is known for melding the humorous with the horrific in many of his works, and his latest is no exception to that. On December 11th, Adult Swim premiered Casper Kelly's Adult Swim Yule Log. When it starts out as your average Yule Log video, before turning into something entirely different and completely bonkers, namely a feature-length film, a horror movie featuring a number of different elements, different tropes from the genre, including UFOs, satanic cults, killer rednecks in the vein of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and even a rather devious little imp. I don't want to give too much else away about it, but it has to be seen to be believed, because it's completely unlike anything you've probably ever seen before. We'll talk about that, as well as Casper's involvement with the horror movie Mandy, the ways in which Adult Swim may get unfairly boxed into the category of being stoner comedy, and much, much more. So, with that in mind, let's get right to it with Casper Kelly, the man behind the Adult Swim Yule Log. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm really excited to be speaking with. 
Casper Kelly, uh, the co-creator of the Adult Swim live action series, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell with the great Henry Zabrowski of the last podcast on the left, and also the Adult Swim infomercials episode Too Many Cooks, uh, the Cheddar Goblin sequence from Mandy, and uh, most recently, the Adult Swim Yule Log uh, or as it's become known, the fireplace, which was uh, a pretty fun little uh, fake out. But we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, Casper, is there anything I missed? Uh, uh, and how would you uh, sum up the work you've been doing over the years? I think you did a great job, JG, and i um, happy to be here. So I guess uh, the place I wanted to start was uh, how, how did the Adult Swim Yule Log come together? Because uh, this is a Yule Log... Uh, to start out, but it sort of morphs into basically what is a, a feature length film that combines comedy and horror. Yeah, I think I was just uh, watching a Yule log and I imagined what if if legs crossed the frame, you're looking at this fireplace and then you see legs slightly out of focus walking across the frame and you hear dialogue off screen. And that sort of interested me of like, that could become a story uh, told off screen partly. Uh, and that was the genesis. And from there I pitched it. Did you pitch it as a, a feature length film initially, or was it supposed to be a short? Um, what's the story on that? I think I can't remember exactly. I think I pitched the very basic idea first as sort of a 4am thing to see if they bought off on that. And then when they did, I said, and what if we made it a feature? That just came to me. I didn't have an idea of how to make it a feature, but I just decided to go for it. So what I find really interesting, not just about, uh, not just with the Adult Swim Yule Log, uh, but also some of your previous work, like Too Many Cooks and uh, the Scooby-Doo Project, which was, a um, for people that don't know, it was sort of a an early uh, project that you worked on that was uh, essentially a, a sort of parody of the Blair Witch Project by way of uh, Scooby-Doo. Um, you also did uh, a parody of um, video game streamer culture, Final Deployment 4, Queen, ba Queen Battle Walkthrough. And what I find interesting is you seem to have a knack for parodying, um, you know, elements of, of media trends. Um, so, you know, with the Cheddar Goblin sequence in Mandy, you were sort of um, satirizing, you know, 90s commercials, um, you know, Too Many Cooks was satirizing uh, 90s sitcom intros and whatnot. Uh, and the previous projects I mentioned sort of all play on different media themes. So uh, what what is your interest in sort of riffing on media trends? Is that just because you're so immersed in media and the media world? I'm not sure if I would call it satire, except for maybe the Scooby-Doo project. I think it's more, I just thought of this while, I was listening to your question. It's more using a genre or a style as a host for a uh, for a uh, uh, an alien ectomorph of some other kind. Like you know, using this as a body for a host to to explore something else, maybe because uh, and try to make it about something else rather than just strictly a parody um, and. I'm not sure why I'm attracted to it. I just am, I guess. Um, is, you know, is it's some hard of to, it, yeah, we'll it's a surprise to me too. 
I was going to say, is some of it related to, um, do you maybe work within some of these mediums um, or, or genres because of, um, you know, budgetary constraints or anything like that? Or I don't think so. Um, I think, I, if anything, I probably like that when you work within a, a genre or, or some a form, it gives you some constraints which can help creativity um, of being limited uh, can be fun rather than having complete blue sky um, or it can kind of give you uh, a genre can give you some rules that you can then try to work against potentially. Yeah. You can sort of subvert the tropes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up there uh, that, you know, having complete freedom sometimes uh, can be a constraint in and of itself, whereas having constraints can actually, in, in a really weird way, almost force you to be more creative. You know, like a, a director like John Carpenter, some of his best films, in my view, are the really low budget ones, right? Like uh, Halloween. And he has to be creative in order to make those films on such a tight budget. Yes, yes, agree. And I heard someone remarking on that movie that they didn't have money for a lot of extras, so the streets are weirdly deserted. There's not a lot of trick-or-treaters, which also gives it a just this eerie feeling. Yes. So then with the Adult Swim Yule Log, I know we're going to have to work around giving away the plot because I do not want to give it away. And I, I think you want to keep the mystery to it. Um, and people have to just see it to understand it, I think. But uh, it's really interesting because you sort of mishmash a lot of different genres. And I, I'm curious... I know a lot of people say it's comedy. Uh, it's a bit of a horror. Uh, how would you describe the adult swim you'll log in, in your own sort of, how did you envision it? Um, that's a good question. I sort of don't even think of it in that ter those terms. Exactly. I just kind of do what feels right. And then, let others decide what genre it is, or if it's more horror or more comedy. Uh, yeah, I I know that there are parts that are funny and parts that are not, and that can be kind of weird. Um, but I it just um, was how I felt like doing it. I, I, I guess I just worked intuitively. Um, and then you sort of have a not to interrupt you, but you sort of no, have please, a. Please. I was going to say you sort of have like a, a bit of a David Lynch style in that sense, because, you know, if, if you read uh, Lynch's thoughts on film, he always talks about working on intuition in order to make uh, creative projects. And it sounds like you're influenced by that sort of line of thought of working on your intuition to tell a story. Yes, I think that um, when I try to intellectually uh, do a theme it it isn't very effective or good. I think if I just work on things that I'm interested in or that are challenging and just grab me for some reason, there ends up being a theme there that others could tell me what they think it is. And I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. That's a very good thing, you know? I So yes, I think I... I mean, not entirely, but I do like to work intuitively. Do you have any specific influences when it comes to your work? I kind of, I'm sure I do, but I, I, I didn't like 
go, I'm going to screen these movies in advance of this. I think it's just stuff I've watched that kind of gets ground up in your brain and like is in the soil. So the minerals go into the plant that's growing up of your idea, you know, is kind of what I think. I definitely think David Lynch is an influence um, for sure. And John Carpenter and Sam Raimi, people have said, which I'm like, that makes sense. But like, I'm a huge uh, uh, Mike Lee fan and I'm a huge Miyazaki fan and a huge Altman fan. I have no idea if, but I don't know if th those are showing up in this at all. So it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. Something that's interesting for me is you mentioned not necessarily working on writing a story centered around a theme, but sort of, you know, just intuitively telling a story and the themes sort of come with it. Uh, I do feel like there are a lot of themes at work in, in a lot of your uh, projects, you know, um, and one that I notice comes up a lot is, um, you know, mental health uh, and depression. That plays a pretty significant role, I would say, in the Adult Swim Yule Log, aka The Fireplace. And I also think it plays into uh, Final Deployment 4, Queen Battle Walkthrough. Um, is there a reason for that? Like, uh, do, do you think it's just something that comes out because uh, all of us sort of deal with um, our own mental health issues? Yeah, I think it interests me. I think I have have my own issues with anxiety. And there are people close to me that have various issues, as we all do. So I guess it is on my mind. You're definitely right that it's a big part of final deployment and it's a big part of this. You're right. I was going to say too, another thing that comes up in the adult swim log is, um, you know, the issue of, of America's history of slavery. And I know that there's a story behind maybe why that ends up being in the film. I, I Because you're from Georgia, I believe that uh, I, I heard another interview that uh, you had family that lived near the plantations or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah I'm a Southerner. So I have, some family from North Carolina and some family from Georgia. Yeah. And it just is on your mind of if, if we were alive then, what would my politics be? You know, would I have been a, been a slave owner or would I have said, no, this is wrong. I'm moving North or whatever. I don't know. You know, it is the million dollar question that we wonder, right? Yeah. That gets into um, that concept. I think you have, uh, sort of embed it within the Yule Log. Uh, and that's this idea of like, I guess what's called time privilege um, by one of the characters in the story. Actually, uh, just to pique everyone's interest, the character is an imp. Yes, this story has an imp in it. <laughs> uh, and it, it is interesting because, you know, who knows, you know, maybe 50 years from now, uh, you know, our descendants uh our kids or grandkids whatever will see us as having been you know immoral or politically incorrect um and it's it seems like that also permeates the film yes yes and uh yeah that just bubbled up and i was like yeah that because it is something i think about so and i don't have a real answer about it but it's something i'm interested in so i felt like that was a good thing to put in there <laughs> Yeah, and I, I was curious. Um, I also, it, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but I also feel like there's an element of, and 
you know, this is just my interpretation of the story. And I, I was just wondering what you think of it. I don't know that it's intended or not, but uh, something that I thought was really interesting about the Adult Swim Yule Log was that you're dealing with these issues like slavery and, and the past and the present and the future. And it seems like a lot of the social issues that are dealt with are issues that still haunt us today. You know, um, you know the, the main character, Zoe, has mental health issues and she's not always taken seriously as well. And I don't think that these characters, these two Black characters that are central to the story, are always treated very well by the people around them. So it seems like one of the things that pops up in the story is that, you know, history repeats itself in some ways. Yes. Or I would say also it's a question of which Alex and Zoe are presenting of, are we progressing or are we not? (laughs) Which is an interesting question as well. You know, are we progressing as a society or not necessarily? Right. There, there can be like, um, I guess, an illusion of uh, progress sometimes. Yes. Um, and that's another one where I I kind of try to have each character argue their side. And I'm not sure where I land on this. Um, it just wasn't. It's kind of interesting to do questions rather than here's my opinion on this uh, theme. You know, it's kind of fun to explore things I'm not sure about myself and try to do all sides as well as I can. Is that something that you sort of relish when it comes to, um, I guess, the reactions to whether it's the Adult Swim Yule Log or, uh, you know, as another example, Too Many Cooks? It it seems like uh, you're not necessarily saying, hey, this is what this is about and this was the meaning here. I think you sort of enjoy uh, seeing different people's reactions and letting them put it together. And in some ways, I think you would maybe argue that, hey, I don't even know that it's about this one thing, you know, um, maybe you should give your idea of what it was about. Yeah, I I definitely try to have my own idea of what it's about. But I read somewhere, some critics, when they were talking about novelists, is like the last person you want to ask what a book is about is the author, because <laughs> they're not going to know. Uh, with the idea being that they don't, they may not have clarity on what it's about, or there's unconscious things that they're not aware of that might be apparent to the reader. I guess, like famously, Stephen King, The Shining, you know, he was exercising some personal things that he necessarily wasn't aware of in that book that kind of gave it its power. I don't know. I've read something like that. I don't, I don't remember a fragment of it, but. Something that's really interesting to me is you're very, in a way, I think you're very detail oriented um, because, you know, watching something like Too Many Cooks um, or uh, Final Deployment for Queen Battle walkthrough, you know, you really are spot on in portraying, uh, you know, for instance, uh, video game walkthroughs on the Internet uh, or with Too Many Cooks. Uh, the sort of 90s sitcoms, you know, I I watched Too Many Cooks recently again, and it was so funny because my mom afterwards was watching Step by Step. And I walk in and I'm seeing the intro of Step by Step and I'm like, damn, he really got it with uh, Too Many <laughs> Cooks. And uh, it was just, it's just fascinating to me that you're really able to 
you know, portray things that are absurd, but they also, you know, line up pretty well with the things that you're, I, I don't know if you're making fun of it, but, you know, the things that you're you're playing around with, um, with regards to media, uh, even the Cheddar Go- Goblin sequence in Mandy, you know, I said to myself after watching that, uh, this could be, you know, a real 90s uh, commercial, because I remember kids commercials in those days were like, really wild. Uh, so the question I had in, in regards to that was, how do you sort of go through the process of how do I make this absurd, but also in a weird way, realistic, when I'm sort of riffing on these different subjects? Um, it's a great question. I think it's in too many cooks that we did a lot of research and, uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, somebody, some people have said that a director's biggest job is tone control of like the, being the filter of what the tone is. So it just as a matter of if it feels right. Um, and also I do have to say, I have a wonderful team of producers and and editors and graphics people that are great um, that I have to give a lot of credit to. What what kind of research went into say too many cooks, for instance? I think with that um, we pulled a ton of uh, sitcom intros off the internet and uh, started cutting it together uh, and. Uh, this editor, uh, Paul Painter and I, and then, uh, also, uh, Nick Gibbons worked on that as another editor. Uh, and we, yeah, we just started watching intros and then just stuff from my memory of just very basic things of how like spaceship models looked in that era, you know, uh, being how they would look shot, like they're on, on strings or something. Uh, and so on, and wanted to put that in there, or the G.I. Joe-type cartoon. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, while watching the, uh, the the segment of Too Many Cooks that was sort of sci-fi influenced that, I was reminded of things like V, the original series, and then, you know, um, things like that. So, I mean, you really you caught the um, the sort of atmosphere of all those things. So I, I do think there is a, a sort of detail-oriented nature uh, that oh, you're you very know- good with. Thank you. There, here's an example is of what you're talking about. Is there? I was doing a uh, cartoon uh, that had to look retro for Cartoon Network, um, involving Birdman, the car- not the Birdman attorney at law, but the old Hanna Barbera cartoon Birdman, and it didn't quite look right. I was like, it feels like those cartoons move a little bit, just a tiny bit, and I don't know. And they go, oh yeah, yeah, that's gate weave because it was on film and there's a tiny bit of gate weave, just things like that. So, okay, can we fake some gate weave in there? Um, Just things like that. I also wanted to ask what went into making um, the adult swim you'll log, uh, because I'm always interested in what hurdles may have existed for you as a filmmaker in making it, because I'm assuming you had to do it on, on certain constraints, right? And it's always interesting to know uh, what the trials and tribulations of a filmmaker are. Um, I think it was the longest thing I had done and having to write it so fast was probably a blessing. I didn't have a time to second guess myself or overthink it. And uh, luckily we have some, we had a very truncated uh, schedule 
but uh, luckily I had some great producers that I've worked with a long time, like Melissa Warrenberg and uh, Matt Foster and Daniel Levine, who sort of just helped make it happen. They, they honestly, they would do a, uh, an Alan Stedman. They would uh, just help solve the problem. So I could just, focus on the creativity as much as possible. Like really, I, there's not a ton that they say, we just can't do it. They'll, they'll fit. I know we have limited money, but we'll just figure out a way to do it. I mean, maybe if I wanted uh, a movie star that wanted a million dollars, we can't do that, but uh, pretty much else I'm able to do it. And uh, I, I thank them a lot for that. How did you decide what tropes you were going to maybe, um, subvert throughout the adult swim you'll love because you have i mean i don't want to spoil it but everything is here i mean you're you're making references to texas chainsaw massacre alien films and you know everything in between you know saint worshippers so how did you decide hey this is what we're going to play with in this segment we'll play with this in another segment um what what sort of was the creative process there i think um Thank you. I think it was just fun and stuff I'm interested in. And I remember not to compare myself to any of these guys, but Matt Weiner, who did Mad Men, had some advice of this is in relation to television. He's like, don't hold back. Like, don't hold something for a season two. You don't know if you're going to get a season two. Just burn it out. Just you got ideas, throw them in there. And, you know, I also was interested in doing something sort of like too many cooks where I just try everything. And I guess I'm sort of ADD. I like to just throw in a lot to keep myself interested. And, you know, it kind of, it came out while we were shooting it, but uh, uh, everything everywhere all at once, which is wonderful is very maximalist as well. Uh, and also cabin in the woods. It was a lot of that too. Uh, was surely a inspiration. Um, it just, like I'm getting to make a movie. Why don't I put in everything that's interesting to me that can fit in there? It's interesting too, because I know you said that you sort of want to let people decide, is this a comedy? Is this a horror? And it's funny because I, you know, I know people from the horror movie world that have no interest in like Tim and Eric awesome and things like that, but they love, you know, the, the adult swim you'll log or even other adult swim projects of the past, like um, unedited footage of a beer and, you know, these sort of horror-oriented infomercials that Adult Swim has done. Uh, but it, it's interesting to me. I think that comedy and horror uh, are very similar because they're both meant to elicit physical reactions in, in the viewer. Um, and I also think both of them are able to deal with current social issues in ways that other genres often can't um, because, you know, comedy sort of can take the edge off. You're, you're sort of uh, allowed to deal with certain social issues. You know, the, the jester can say things that other people can't. And I think horror is the same way. You can deal with a lot of social issues and people don't necessarily even think of the, the social issues immediately when watching, you know, like a show like the twilight zone, but it's all there. Right. And I was curious, what do you think of, of comedy and horror as genres and, um, you know, there, there are similarities, maybe they're powered to tell different uh, stories involving social issues. That's a really great question. And I think you're right. They're both genres that are, I've, they're, they, they're like a great base. Like uh, 
chicken stock in a soup is a great base. You can add a lot to it and it's still good. Like horror and comedy are a great genre that you can add a lot to it. And they also both rely on tension and release of tension. Um, one with uh, laughter and one with sort of cathartic, you know, release of either they survive or they don't. Um, and so they work well together, you know, in that sense as well. Although some people don't like horror comedy in their horror, but um, I think they're, they're cousins. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I do think they're cousins. And it, it, it's odd to me when people say they don't like, you know, mixing horror and comedy because, you know, I grew up on stuff like Sam Raimi and well, even more so like Joe Dante, you know, the guy that did Gremlins yes, yes. and movies like that. And I, I think horror and comedy have often gone together in ways people don't even realize. There's a lot of humor in a lot of those older horror movies that people miss. Yeah, you can it can make things scarier if there's humor too, because you're you're not on sure footing of what's going to happen in the scene. It could go funny, it could not. I mean Texas Chainsaw Massacre's got comedy in it. Uh, American Wolf in London is a great movie. That's a huge uh, favorite movie of mine. Aliens got some comedy in it when they're bitching about their pay raises, you know, and so on. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think what's great about the work you're doing, and also I think there's similar filmmakers out there exploring exploring horror and comedy in, in similar ways to what you're doing. Um, so for instance, I mentioned in an email to you, uh, the people that do tiny cinema, uh, which, uh, does a very similar thing of melting horror and comedy, but also playing everything pretty straight. Um, and I wanted to get into that with you because I think one of the great things about the adult swim, you log or, uh, too many cooks is that, I mean, there's humor there, but the proceedings are played sort of straight faced. Uh, is that sort of the intention that you were going for? Yes, I th I think that tends to be funnier. Even on your pretty face is going to hell, which is very silly. We kind of play it straight. We don't play it. Yeah, we don't. I mean, it's kind of broad, but I'm not making any sense now. I, I like it coming from real human behavior rather than being overly broad for the joke. Yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, I remember I used to work at a bar and I would actually show all the episodes of uh, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell during my shifts. <laughs> so, and I I, I, always, I I really enjoyed that show. It was um, thank you. It was a very interesting sort of uh, take on corporate culture, but through the lens of, you know, a sort of nice guy demon <laughs> that is incompetent at being a bad, evil demon. So, but it, it really does sort of lampoon corporate culture in some ways. And in, in some ways, I think your pretty face is going to hell. Would you say it's different in some ways from, say, the Adult Swim Yule Log and Final Deployment for Too Many Cooks? What, what would you say makes it stand out to a lot of people? I think, yeah, that's different. And then it's more of a pure comedy and that's more of a collab. That's a collaboration with the amazing Dave Willis of Aqua Teen, Space Ghost, Squidbillies, etc. So that's sort of a, our Vulcan mind meld of our our sensibilities overlapping. Um, How did the idea for it originally come about? I've always been wondering about that. Oh yeah, um, it started out. I had this short film idea. Uh, 
purely i don't know if you've seen the that super deluxe pilot but i had a uh just a basic idea of these people that join a cult that promises an afterlife of uh, a river of milk and honey and unlimited virgins to have sex with and the joke is that after you they they go to this afterlife but then after a million years they're just as miserable as they were when they were on earth like you get used to it so uh that was the basic idea and then um i pitched it to dave and he started adding all these other great ideas to it so we ended up doing it as a together as a short for super deluxe um which i don't know if you've ever seen that um, i have not seen super deluxe actually or i mean if you the the this pilot do you know what i'm talking about have you seen it where vaguely maybe i okay. think i vaguely remember something like and, yeah. uh dave willis plays a demon in it who is stuck stabbing one guy over and over for eternity and it just made us laugh because in a way he has it just as bad as the guy getting stabbed like your arm starts to hurt and you're very bored and that's your life you know so we just started thinking you know along those lines of he has it just as bad as the guy getting stabbed. So what's it like to be a demon, you know, who has to whip someone over and over for eternity, you know? So it's, it's interesting. You mentioned um, Dave Willis was involved with uh, space ghost coast to coast. Yes. Yeah. It, it's funny because I'm having a flashback now. I remember I used to stay up late on the weekends to watch space ghost coast to coast when I was like really, really little, you know, I, I was like, Probably, I probably shouldn't have been watching it, but for some reason, I was just fascinated uh, with that show as a kid. And I remember, you know, there was one episode, I think it was um, the musician Moby was on it. And uh, it's funny to me now because that episode scared the crap out of me because at the beginning of it, Space Ghost gets like mind controlled to want to eat people's flesh. And uh, it scared the crap out of me because eventually he, he like eats moby's flesh and before that he talks about how oh what a nice bony head you know there must be treats in there and which this is funny in hindsight but when i was a little kid for some reason it freaked me out uh but i i'm bringing this up because i think it's interesting with every adult swim show that i've seen there, there's always like weird elements of horror in a lot of those shows i mean there's there's stuff in aqua teen hunger force and squidbillies that is like oh that's kind of you know, creepy. Uh, I oh, guess it's yeah. funny if you're really stoned, but it's it, it's kind of interesting. I think horror is is sort of present in a lot of Adult Swim content, even outside of the work you've done. Yeah, I agree, and I I mean, definitely in Tim and Eric, uh, maybe not in Joe Para, but uh, yeah, definitely in a lot of shows and a lot of the 4 a.m. shows. And you talked about um, unedited footage of a bear, and I really loved. Uh, Wham City also did This House Has People in It, which is very unsettling. Um, That's but, Alan uh, Resnick, right? Or yeah, or I thought it was I thought it was Wham City as a whole. Okay, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Alan Resnick's part of that. Um, <clears throat> but um I think also part of that is with Aquatine, is the other half of that, besides Dave Willis, uh, Matt Malero is a huge horror fan, uh, big time. And uh yeah, he's he loves horror, and it, there's even horror elements in uh, Twelve Ounce Mouse a little bit. Um, I was yeah. going to say even uh even the Squidbillies because you know 
I mean, let's be honest. The Squidbillies, the the you know, the title character is played by um unknown Henson, the great vampire psycho Billy. <laughs> yes, that's true. You're right. <laughs> so I just had a few more brief questions if you if you have the time. Yeah, it's great. This is a great interview. I'm enjoying so, it. I, I was curious when it comes to uh, some of the other work you've done. I, I know you've written an episode or two of the Squidbillies. Uh, what's maybe the difference working on, you know, single episodes? I think you worked on an episode of a cat dog back in the day for Nickelodeon. What's the difference between doing work like that and, you know, things like say the cheddar goblin sequence in Mandy uh, or too many cooks or the adult swim Yule log. I think, um, well, too many cooks in Yule log. I was the director. So I kind of have more control over what I want to do with it. While those other shows you mentioned, uh, yeah, I wrote, I wrote like five or six squidbillies and a cup helped out with a couple of aqua teens and cheddar goblin. Those I'm sort of serving the showrunners or the, uh, or in, in the case of uh, Mandy uh, Panos, the director. So I'm trying to make, so it's sort of like a on-demand thing. Like I'm trying to do something I love, but I want them to love it. Like I'm so I'm focused on, you know, what they will love trying to, trying to. While other the other ones are just more for me, so it's more what will the audience like and what do I like, you know? It, it's interesting to me too. I'm just curious, and I, I suppose this doesn't really matter one way or the other, but I remember when I when I first showed someone uh, that listens to this show, uh, the Adult Swim Yule Log, I think their initial impression was, oh, this is going to be some like weird stoner thing because Adult Swim and this is all just for stoners. Um, and it's weird to me because I think Adult Swim is actually, I, I get the whole stoner comedy thing that people relate to Adult Swim with, but I, I think there's a lot more going on with Adult Swim. And I think there's a lot more creative output there that even if you're not into like stoner comedy uh you would be into it do, do you think some people maybe have too limited a view of what adult swim produces yeah i think people at adult swim bristle a little bit about the stoner comedy label i don't think it's quite accurate um i think it's more uh and not to not to put myself in this, but I, Mike Lazo, I think his, you know, he was the, the person who would green light things. Uh, and I think he just did not want to be bored. So he, he, he wanted to be surprised and see things that are different. Like uh, Joe Para, when it came out was, there's nothing, was nothing like that. It was such a gentle show. Um, and that made it unique, you know? So I think he just wanted unique, interesting things that are not like things on a lot of most of the shows on adult swim, I don't think could exist on other channels or streaming services. So um, I've sort of lost the thread of your question, but yeah, I think what was your question? Well, I, I guess, I, I guess I was just saying, you know, I, I feel like people, I, I think people short thrift. Oh yeah. Adult yeah. Swim I agree with you. Ways. Like for, yeah. Like for example, it, yeah, because I mean, most things are more entertaining when you're stoned. So it doesn't, it almost doesn't mean anything. Like, 
any show, a Hallmark movie would be better stoned. Anything would, you know, is entertaining. But I think like off the air is doing some really interesting things and uh, uh, anything, Venture Brothers, Squidbillies, it's like, it, it rewards you, it rewards you to not be stoned and to be able to really pay attention to it. There's a lot of thought in there, I think. Yeah, I was going to say one of my favorite um, adult swim shows. I don't know how long it lasts. It was um, Moral Oral, uh, which yes. was a really biting satire of like evangelical culture. And I, I felt like, you know, this doesn't necessarily fit in the stoner comedy realm. Yeah, you're right. That's uh, Dino Stamatopoulos, uh, who was a show on a uh, writer on Mr. Show. So I, I guess before we close out, um, the other thing I, I think is interesting about Adult Swim is uh, I, I think people don't realize a lot of the content on Adult Swim, including things like Too Many Cooks and Final Deployment 4 uh, that you've done and, and the Adult Swim you'll log, you guys can deal with some like really dark subject matter, right? I mean, even something like Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I mean, you have entire characters that are basically, you know, shut in like losers that they can't get laid and just lonely alienated people uh you know dealing with themes of depression uh you deal with some really dark subject matter i mean even the subject of uh, suicide comes up in uh the adult swim you log uh so what is it that maybe draws you and uh your collaborators to like really like oftentimes very dark subject matter but done in in a somewhat humorous context but also the weird thing is there's humor in the stories you're telling, but there's also something very unsettling at times. Um, I was unsettled by elements of Too Many Cooks and the Adult Swim Yule Log. So th there's like two things going on at once. You're dealing with this dark subject matter in a humorous way, but th there's still an unsettling airiness uh, to the proceedings. And I'm, I'm wondering what draws you to doing that? Um, I don't have a great answer. It's sort of like who you're attracted to. Why are you attracted to the people you're attracted to? I guess I just, I, yeah, I, I think it's cause I love that type of stuff myself as a consumer, you know, twin peaks, for example, or, um, I'm totally blanking on everything else. <laughs> but can I, can I add something to that? Because the, yeah. the one thing I noticed with, uh, your work and a similarity with Twin Peaks. And I think a lot of people miss this about Twin Peaks. If you watch the original series, I mean, basically it's a soap opera in which the, a lot of the characters are watching a soap opera within the show. Yes. There, there's sort of that meta thing going on. And I think yes. that also happens a lot in uh, your projects. Yes, that's true. I don't know if I got that the first time I watched it, but yes, you're at, watching it again. You're absolutely right. And I do love those... Um, Verhoeven would do a lot of these movies that would subvert themselves like um, Starship Troopers, you know, is really about fascism. And I that one I caught when I was watching it, because I remember uh, the humans are fighting this this alien race and they described what started the war. And I'm like, well, that sounds like the humans are at fault there. That that's not the aliens' fault. It sounds like the aliens are defending themselves, but they they present it in a way like the aliens are evil. Um, so it was very clever to do that. Where it is an action movie, but if you think about it a little bit, uh, it's totally subverting the uh, 
the uh, uh, the genre. I was going to say I can definitely see elements of uh, Starship Troopers in some of your work, like particularly. I remember there was a scene in in Starship Troopers where uh, I think they're they're at the recruitment place for the the military, and the one recruiter's like, "Yeah, you should join military. Changed my life." And then it like pans down. You see that he has like no legs, <laughs> and, and it's all played completely straight. But Verhoeven is very, very, very clearly doing satire there. Um, and also, I think that's true of. I don't think people noticed it at first, but even RoboCop. I mean, RoboCop, oh, yes. I think, is very much making fun of like the Reagan era and you know strong arm policing and whatnot. Yes, and I guess I've read that. Some people think Showgirls is sort of making fun of uh, of entertainment, the entertainment business in a way, uh, or you know, taking how she takes herself very seriously as a dancer, but the business itself is not a particularly artistically ambitious venue of Vegas dancing. Um, so that's interesting too. So the last two things I really wanted to get at were. Um... You know, you lampoon uh, a few different things in in your various projects. So, you know, with Final Deployment Four, you're you're sort of, uh, I think, poking fun at uh, video game streamer culture. Uh, you poke fun at podcasters in uh, Adult Swim. You'll log. I'm curious. Uh, do, do you sort of have a resentment towards? Of uh, these sort of like new media type things. Or... No, no, that okay. al that almost hurts me that you're asking that because I am a total gamer and I totally love podcasts. I, yeah, that's interesting. I don't feel that way at all. Maybe it's my own internalized fear that I'm being judged as a gamer. Certainly, my daughters uh, are annoyed when I'm listening to podcasts walking around the house. So it's it's probably my own internalized. Uh, fear of judgment. I, I love both of those mediums tremendously. It's interesting though, because you are dealing, I think with uh very real issues that, that, you know, people in, you know, those sort of new media environments face, especially the, the sort of, um, I think alienation and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people face downward mobility now. And, uh, I think that really comes out in your work. Uh, thank you. Yes. It's, uh, as a person in the entertainment business, I, I have to be prepared for downward mobility, upward mobility, all kinds of, yes, always changing. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just, I just try to write about stuff I care about. And I guess that's something I'm concerned about too, is income inequality and future of the world and the country. I don't know. I'm sounding pretentious, but. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's what my listeners are interested in hearing about. So um, I guess in closing, what do you hope the listeners get out of the conversation we've been having? And um, what would you say to people? How, how would you maybe sell them on the Adult Swim Yule Log? Um, I know we, we've tiptoed yeah. around giving away any plot Adult, details. <laughs> I think it's been out enough. I think we're allowed. But I, I think with Adult Swim Yule Log, I, I would prefer if you're interested in giving something a whirl, I maybe go in blind and just see what you think. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything else, uh, but I hope you enjoy it. And uh, you had another part to this question, which I've already forgot. Uh, well, what, what you hope listeners get out of the conversation we've oh. been having and what you hope. I mean, I, I, I feel like 
I don't want to ask the question of what what do you hope listeners get out of your work because it seems like you you want listeners to get whatever they want out of it. You don't you don't want to dictate to them what you know the the meaning is behind any of your projects. Uh, yeah, I guess I I I want them to enjoy it and maybe I I love work that I'm interested enough to Google various theories about. So I if people think about it after that makes me very happy um, that it sticks with them in some way. I love that. And in terms of our conversation, this was a really great interview, JG. I, you, I can tell you're a fan and you just know, you know it. You don't, I don't think you had to research it. You just know these things. And uh, there was a lot of depth in the questions and it, it was, uh, I'm glad I did this interview. Um, this and yeah, this this is an interview that I I will cringe a little less at my answers than many of them, hopefully. <laughs> I I also uh, you know I I'd be remiss uh, because one of my listeners wanted me to ask you this and I almost forgot. Um, but I had a listener that that was wondering uh, how the Cheddar Goblin sequence and Mandy came about because Mandy is probably their like favorite film in the past decade. So I thought I'd I'd throw them a bone and oh, ask yeah, you yeah. That at the uh, end of this. I've told it before, but I'll happily tell it again is basically uh, Panos was shooting in Belgium and uh, he, uh, Josh Waller, one of his producers, let me back up. So Panos is shooting in Belgium and uh, let me back up again. I also agree. I love that movie. That movie is not, forget what I did in it. That movie is amazing. So, uh, but they were shooting in Belgium and as you remember, Mandy works in a convenience store, so they had to create fake products as props. So they were just talking about fake brand names and so on. And so uh, they got the idea of a brand of mac and cheese called Cheddar Goblin. And so they, uh, Josh Waller and Panos emailed me and said, could you do a commercial for this kind of set in the 80s or 90s Uh with this idea of a mac and cheese commercial with a cheddar goblin that, that vomits up mac and cheese. And I was shooting your pretty faces going to hell at the time, but I wasn't going to say no to this. So I shot it on a Saturday. And uh, so I wrote it and they liked what I wrote. And we went back and forth a little and Shane Morton uh, designed the cheddar goblin who does a lot of work. He worked on, uh, he did the alien and uh, adult swim Yule log um, and a bunch of other stuff um the gore uh so i made the commercial and i really thought it was going to be just a tv in the background while people are having dinner or something like an easter egg i didn't know it was going to be nicholas cage watching it in a very pivotal scene so that was quite a thrill to see that yeah and i was going to add just to reiterate i found that sequence really fascinating because like i said I remember commercials when I was growing up in the nineties that were as weird as that commercial was, you know? So uh, was there any specific things you were influenced by with that? I think Panos sent me a couple of um, frame grabs of various commercials and we used those as a North star. And then I, uh, uh, yeah, looked up a couple of more commercials from that era um, that's the beauty of the internet now. It's almost all on YouTube. And of course, a lot of your work is filled on YouTube. I 
Hope everyone will check out the Adult Swim Yule Log. I think uh, Final Deployment 4 is on YouTube, Too Many Cooks, uh, The Scooby-Doo Project. And uh, these are all also listed on your website, right? Yes, which I badly need to update. CasperKelly.com. Thanks again, Casper Kelly. Everyone check out Adult Swim Yule Log. And uh, that's a wrap. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, JG. Thanks, listeners. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Casper Kelly and that you'll check out the Adult Swim Yolog, which I believe is now streaming on HBO Max. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash Parallax Views. And with that being said, until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with Parallax Views. The way out is not simply to say, don't do it. Just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing this like crazy. So, you know, we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that. Uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff. It's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.